Hello, it's Monique. And Landon. And I don't want to hear any complaints that there was no blueberry muffins because they happen to have been dinner, wine, and cake this month. But I still wanted muffins for dinner. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Why were there no muffins for dinner? I know, because it was too much of other stuff. Anyways, I'm full of wine. No, you're not. No, just a little bit, but that's Um, good. It's wine o'clock. It's wine o'clock. It's actually good wine. So let's just talk a little bit. It's Gruner Wittliner. For all of you in there, Gruner Wittliner, a very Austrian wine. You just about said Australian. No, Austrian wine. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know. We're going to talk about, actually, overdoses. Like you on wine? No. I haven't been overserved. I just have, um, I'm a little enjoying life at the moment. So we're going to talk a little bit about overdoses, that not all overdoses are heroin overdoses. And with all the attention, rightly so, on the opiate crisis, not only here in Canada, but around the world, much of the education and information has been around heroin or opiate overdoses. And we thought it would be a good reminder that there are other types of overdoses out there and thought it would be great to review this with a case study. So let me start. So a 31-year-old female was brought to the emergency department by paramedics after the patient's husband found her unresponsive. He he reported that he last saw her at baseline about one hour prior to arrival to the ED. At that time, she was complaining of a headache and took an unknown medication to treat her symptoms. Her behavior was otherwise normal. The paramedics report that there was no drug paraphernalia or empty pill bottles at the scene. The patient's husband provided a medical history significant for headaches, but he was unclear about the patient's current medications or her drug allergies. There was no history of illicit drug use. A Pharmanet, which is kind of, I'm not sure if all of you guys have Pharmanets, but we do have an ability that we can actually access all of the drug records on from a, any pharmacy from any pharmacy so we know what prescribed drugs um, right. that you've received so Pharmanet revealed that the patient was prescribed amitriptyline for migraine prophylaxis when we did examine the patient she did have a heart rate of 136 and her systolic blood pressure was only 82 milligrams um, milligrams millimeters of mercury she was breathing at about 21 breaths per minute and her temp was 36 degrees celsius and i'm sorry for you american folks because i don't really know what that is in fahrenheit it's 90 something something ish i apologize i only know 30 she she, had no fever febrile is what i'm trying (laughs) to say and a pulse oximeter of 100 percent on non-rebreather her neurological exam revealed uh seven millimeter pupils with uh, slow reactivity, a poor gag, no response to auditory stimuli. She was withdrawing from painful stimuli in all four extremities, strong reflexes, and a negative Babinski. Her cardiovascular exam, she showed tachycardia, but other than that, nothing else, no heart murmur. We put her in right away. She got on the cardiac monitor. We started an IV. Blood was sent to the lab. For the usual suspects, CBC, renal panel, cardiac biomarkers, liver panel, lactate, blood cultures, and a serum drug screen and a urine drug screen as well. And a non-contrast head CT was ordered and an ECG was ordered. The ECG showed a long PR interval, wide QRS, and a long QT. Based on the fact that the patient was on amitriptyline and the, and the ECG findings, we suspected a TCA or tricyclic antidepressant overdose was suspected. 
Interesting. I know. It is kind of interesting. You don't see it very often anymore, but it certainly is still out there. But people still are on tricyclic. Exactly. And more so for pain control and things now than actually depression. Exactly. there's better things for depression. But I I think we think those drugs went away when we got new So we're using them kind of off. We're using them for different reasons now. Exactly. So why don't we talk about TCA overdose? Mm -hmm. Which, interestingly enough, in Canada, Health Canada has recommended we stop using the term right. overdose yes. and we start using the term Mis- poisoning. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were going to say misuse, but poisoning is no, better. No, poisoning, because it is. It's it's actually, it's not an overdose. An overdose is if we s- prescribe too much of something. That's true. If they, or we took too much of what was prescribed, if, I guess. That's poisoning. Oh, because that's poisoned. interesting. Yeah. You were only prescribed one pill, you took ten. It's not an overdose, it's a poisoning. Interesting. If I prescribed you 10 pills and I should not have, then it's an overdose. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. That's a very good point. That's a total side thing that Health Canada has gotten on a little bit of a bandwagon from lately. I find that kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. okay. Anyway, there's their useless trivia for the night. Because, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's only 9.15. It's 9.15 already. I know it My is. Goodness, it's dark out. And we're going to talk about tricyclic poisoning. For those of you who love mnemonics, and I am the biggest <laughs> fan, not a fan, of mnemonics. <laughs> he hates mnemonics. Oh, God, I hate mnemonics. I know. I just like people who can figure out physiology of things. But there is a mnemonic for tricyclic overdose. It's TCA. Which is tricyclic antidepressants. antidepressants. Which is helpful. No. Okay. Because you have to remember what the TCA stands for. I know, for. I know. So T is for thinker. Not sure why. Oh, because it causes problems in the brain. And so it can cause seizure, confusion, agitation, delirium, hallucinations, and sedation. The C is for cardiac. And honestly, like, why do we need a mnemonic for three letters? (laughs) I don't know. The reality is they're unconscious. They have heart problems and anticholinergic effects. So... But there are specific C cardiac C is for problems. cardiac. And this yeah. is what you need to remember. Yes. Just to remember C for cardiac isn't good enough. There's a hallmark sign of a tricyclic yeah. antidepressant over, uh, poisoning. And that's a wide QRS, a long QT, and low blood pressure. Yeah. And so really like a, an astute practitioner when someone comes in unconscious with kind of a suspicious story yeah. or an unknown story, you put them on the monitor and have the wide QRS and hypotension and stuff. Yeah. Often in my practice, it's been, well, let's just assume this is a tricyclic uh, overdose because that will kill them. And if they just happen to have a wide QRS all the time, the treatment, which we'll talk about later, isn't Mm -hmm. actually going to kill them. Yeah. It's interesting when we start talking about stuff like this, I start to think about other things that might cause cause you to have a long QT. And then... You know what? In my head, I'm thinking, oh, there's another podcast. We need to talk about long oh, QT do. syndrome. Long QT syndrome. And why people have long QT. But anyways, that's... Let's just start talking about it right now. No, we're not going to talk about that because we're nope. going to talk about TCA. Because you need, you need so to research for it for thinking. two weeks first. Well, T is for thinking. C, C is, is for cardiac. cardiac. YQRS, long QT. And A is for hypertension. anticholinergic. Mm. So hyperthermia, flushing, dilated pupils, urinary retention, tachycardia... Uh, paralytic ileus but it's interesting right because most poisonings mm-hmm. did you notice how i use that yeah, yeah. most wow, poisonings i do try very hard to be 400 years so old. i'm not 400 years old but it's interesting because a lot of times especially with narcotics we often look at the pupils because they're usually pinpoint right so this is quite different because they're quite dilated here. totally yeah, yeah. interesting 
So patients who are at risk of developing major complications are likely to have one or more of the following at the time of initial presentation. Okay. Uh, so heart rate greater than 120. Right. Uh, Glasgow coma scale less than 14. QRS duration greater than 100 milliseconds. Okay. Uh, cardiac arrhythmias or conduction defects, anyone having a seizure, well, that takes, well, that makes, that takes a brain surgeon to figure <laughs> out. Respiratory rate less than 8 or systolic blood pressure less than 90. So really, if they look like they're dying, they are. They are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tricyclic overdoses are quite lethal for several reasons. The clinical course of patients with a uh, tricyclic um, poisoning, poisoning can be unpredictable. Patients who present immediately after ingestion may initially appear well, but can deteriorate rapidly due to the variable absorption of the medication. And I know when in my career, I've had them come in and they kind of, you know, say what they took at yeah. triage. And, and again, if you're busy and they're awake and talking to you, mm-hmm. not that you down triage them, but you may start treating them in the waiting room or yeah. in a less than ideal care space. And I have had them before where suddenly you go in and they're very sleepy mm. rather quickly. Yeah. Uh, so it can be unpredictable. In most cases, acute tricyclic ingestions of 10 to 20 milligrams per kilogram lead to significant cardiovascular and CNS toxicity. Is there something about the drug itself that makes it more there like prob- variable? I don't understand this. There probably is because you're asking the question. Oh. Um, so a little bit more about the pharmacology. Really? Yeah. Look how like, I set you up. That wow, was pretty good. That was great. Yeah, I thought it was we pretty We should good. do that more often. <laughs> Tricyclic overdoses are rapidly absorbed from the GI tract, reaching a maximal plasma concentration within two to eight hours. That's a long, like, span, though, two to eight hours? It is. It is a bit of a bit. They're lipophilic and thus have a larger volume of distribution. So that they, anything fat soluble can easily move in and out of different cells versus water soluble things, as we may recall from physiology 101, actually require an active transportation into the cell. Whereas fat can sit inside your fat, right? fat soluble things can move easily into all the cells of the body because they have a fat membrane. Membrane. Ah, interesting. Phospholipid bilayer, in fact. Oh, well, excuse me very much. That's the only thing I remember from first year of university. (laughs) So depending on which tricyclic antidepressant, the half-life can range from 7 to 58 hours. There's lots of them out there. So, so that's probably why that variable, that variable. ability. Yeah. yeah. So if the half-life is going to be that variable, the absorption is going to be probably about the same. Huh. Uh, so the cardiac conduction abnormality is really the big thing with these. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll all wake up after being sleepy and, and that kind of thing. But if your heart stops, you, there's not much to wake up. So they inhibit the fast sodium channels in the um, bundle of Hiss-Purkinje system and in the myocardium. So this inhibition decreases conduction velocity, and it increases the duration of repolarization and prolongs the absolute refractory period. And for those of you who don't remember all those words, because again, for some of us, it's been a while, that absolute refractory period is kind of a a dangerous time Mm -hmm. when we don't want to really be slowing things down. We don't want to be in that whole refractory phase very long. No. And so this slows everything down. Right. So not only does the current travel slower, you're in this sensitive time longer. There's just a lot more ability for things to go wrong. All these effects contribute to hypotension during overdose or poisoning. That's very interesting. A lot of pharmacology and a lot of kind of review of cardiac kind of conduction I right i know i totally want I know. to go totally nerdy but i won't because no. 
what we really care about is how do we treat emerge nurses is how yeah. do we treat them exactly but i think it's important for us to understand why there's a variability and and why it's dangerous tca overdoses are quite dangerous so if you suspect a tca overdose let's really talk about the management so first of all you know recognizing that it is something that's kind of um, bad and the patient gets into the right area quickly and then as always you should think about your ABCs first and if you have access to a poison control that is so helpful so unfortunately TCA poisonings um, often are obtunded or have a decreased um, level of consciousness so many of them may require intubation for airway protection and ventilation and at the very least they probably need some oxygenation because they do have a decreased level of consciousness and it's we're so lucky here because of pharmanet yes the ability for an unknown unconscious person to pull up their drug profile and see kind of have a suspicion what they're on leads you down the road i couldn't imagine if you didn't have a system like that you just get a random unconscious person exactly in. TCA, TCA overdose would not be probably the first thing you jump Think on. Think about, no. Until you look at their cardiac rhythm, that may lead you down the road. But. Exactly. And then the second thing really is sodium bicarb. And that is the standard initial treatment, particularly for hypotension or arrhythmia that's secondary to TCA toxicity or poisoning. So boluses of sodium bicarb serve three purposes for treating a TCA overdose. One is to provide enough sodium substrate to allow for greater sodium entry into the myocardial cells um, because of that sodium channel blockage caused by the TCA. And that gives you a narrow QRS and an improved cardiac output. So basically flood a whole bunch of sodium outside there and some of it's going to push through. Yeah, exactly. And then you're going to improve your cardiac output. The second reason is to alkalinize alkalinize the blood which decreases the affinity of the tca for the sodium channel so it's like the sodium and the bicarbonate are both useful i know imagine that it is indeed well it's it's gotten a bad rap it has gotten a bad rap (laughs) it does these days for like the last 20 years i know but in this case it's so great Uh, this alkalinization close Didn't I say it right? Alkalinization. Alkalinization provides a buffer. But anyways, provides a buffer that helps to prevent or limit the acidosis that might follow a seizure or hypoperfusion. So acidosis exacerbates the cardiotoxicity by enhancing the TCA binding to the sodium channels. Now, sodium bicarb is, you shouldn't give it to everybody. It's only indicated in patients with TCA poisoning who develop that widening of the QRS that's greater than 100 milliseconds or a ventricular arrhythmia. It's kind of useful to run that continuous 12-lead ECG during the infusion to, prov- to demonstrate either a presence or absence of narrowing of the QRS complex. If the QRS narrows after the bolus therapy, a continuous infusion is still recommended. Most toxicologists taper the sodium bicarb therapy after resolution of ECG changes, which may occur over hours to even days. So one reasonable approach is to reduce the infusion rate by about 25% per hour over four hours. And then should the QRS interval widening, widen, excuse me, during tapering, give an additional bolus and restart the original effusion rate. If the QRS fails to narrow following a bolus, it is still suggested that an IV infusion of sodium bicarb be started unless there's an alternative diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of things to remember really are avoid excessive fluid resuscitation. 
Because I think we think hypoperfusion or hypotension, let's give them lots of volume. That's not what's necessary. It could lead to pulmonary complications, uh, which are sometimes associated with TCA overdoses or poisoning. We are really running out of patients these days. I know. That you start a line and just give a give bolus. It. I know. Like, you know, we're, we're not really that in there for trauma anymore. We're not yeah. in that for overdoses. We're, yeah. There's a whole lot of people. It's really sepsis is the only one really left that it's like, you and even give that, them a bunch of fluid. But even that's getting targeted. Targeted, right? Like yeah. we want to just give a bit and then just, I think everything we need to be more prudent about instead yeah. of just going, oh, there's a quick fix. Let's just yeah. throw in some fluid. By the we time the to... physician gets there, they've had two liters. In <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and then, you know, we've actually created a at? worse problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, so avoid excessive fluid resuscitation, frequent ABC targeting. So a pH of 750 to 755, perhaps hourly until therapeutic range. After that, every four to six hours, you should be doing it uh, in ABG. An ABG. And, you said ABC targeting. Did I say ABC? Originally. Oh, well. But I think... And then Our all listeners of a sudden, are smart enough to know that it was ABC. assessing ABCs doesn't give you a And then in my head, I started to hear like Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 singing ABC. Is that bad? I've never heard that song. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. I know. When the Jackson 5, before Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson. You know what? Let's just move on. Okay. Frequent ABG targeting. Uh, to a pH of 7.50 to 7.55. And don't forget to check the potassium with your ABGs. There is no evidence for prophylactic administration of sodium bicarb in the absence of cardiotoxicity or metabolic acidosis. So again, even though sodium bicarb is the standard initial therapy, please save it for people who are actually having cardio cardiotoxicity. Right. Okay. So... We're talking about sodium bicarbonate. I know, And, and yeah. it has had a bad rap for the last I know. few years. I, I remember when I started, it was kind of, now we give epinephrine every three to five minutes. But back then it used to be, let's, oh, yeah, let's give them two some... amps of bicarb exactly. in the middle of a cardiac arrest. Because, yeah, that'll start their heart again. Well, because I think we it, always worried about the acidosis, acidosis. right? Yeah. But, but the overall problem it's not is addressed. the issue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, their heart isn't beating. But it's not just um, about the bolus, right? I think it, we give boluses, but I think in this case, they want the you infusion. to start an infusion. So yeah. the infusion isn't actually going to provide enough sodium to achieve any QRS narrowing. And neither does it enhance renal elimination of tricyclic antidepressants. However, it does alkalinize. Alkanol- oh, oh, see, it's, it's hard. Turn. It is. It's hard to say that word. Alkalinize the serum and provides a buffer for any acidosis that develops, which may follow a seizure. So the patient's pH should be maintained within a range of seven point four five to seven point five five, with the ideal being seven point five. Okay. So, so we're not going for normal here initially because it's pretty well impossible to to aim for normal in a severe overdose the amount of sodium bicarbonate needed to maintain an adequate qrs may actually be too large and would cause a severe alkalemia wow i got it out i know alkalemia so in these cases hypertonic saline without bicarbonate may be used or the patient can be allowed to become mildly hypercapnic so higher co2 yeah to provide some acid buffer for further needed sodium bicarbonate boluses. It's really kind of a, a love, balance. This is in. the part I love. 
it's that acid base equation, the carbonic acid equation, the equation of life that I, I can spend three hours talking about. Oh, there's another podcast. It'll I be know. a three hour long podcast <laughs> where no, I talk about the carbonic acid equation. No, it certainly will not be three hours. The Krebs cycle will be featured. <laughs> no, definitely not Krebs cycle. So you could try some hyperventilation with those people. However, there's also some reports that hypertonic saline effectiveness is conflicting and there's no clear benefit over sodium bicarb. So really there's no evidence one over the other, but it yeah. is symptomatic management. You can't ignore it. Yeah, and exactly. a wide QRS in someone with these overdose, it, it's an issue. Mm-hmm. And so you may, again, we're typically not ordering this. Uh, so you may see sodium bicarbonate bolus, sodium bicarbonate infusion, yeah. or potentially a hypertonic saline infusion. Yeah. But I think it is important as nurses when you're at the bedside to kind of have that discussion with the physician about what's totally. your target What's your pH target? And if we don't get there or we continue to have that, what is the next plan? And do totally. we want to hyperventilate and I know as well? Right? You and I are very big on objectivity yes. in nursing. Yeah. And okay, what's our aim for the pH? Exactly. And how long do you expect it to take to get there? Exactly. And I think that that's important as nurses. I think sometimes we don't, uh, we're not as clear about we're not as questioning. Well, questioning right. where's the treatment and where what is my targets and and if I don't get there, what is what is the discussion at that point? Absolutely. You know, often the physician leaves and you're at the bedside, so you need to know what's happening with and your we're patient. And we're in that we're in that position of is this what better looks like? Exactly. Yeah. Because again, a lot of us don't work in high volume centers. You may see this once every two years. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Hmm, interesting Two soapboxes. I today. know, I know. We get on our soapboxes. All right, number three. Yeah. So Anti- we talked about sodium bicarb. We've talked right. about what was the first thing we talked about? Uh, ABCs. ABCs. Okay, so ABCs bicarb, and now we're talking about uh, number three okay? anti seizure therapy. Okay. Uh, so benzodiazepines remain the treatment of choice for tricyclic antidepressant induced seizures. Okay. So typically, and this is facility dependent, you may be an Ativan facility or you may be a Valium facility. <laughs> I personally work at an Ativan facility exactly. uh, and even uh, occasionally work at a midazolam facility. Exactly. So yeah. There is no evidence to support the use of prophylactic treatment for patients thought to be at risk of developing seizures. The seizures that are not self-terminating should be treated with benzos, followed by maybe barbiturates, or some places use propofol for seizure management if Mm -hmm. required. Dilantin is contraindicated. It doesn't really improve seizures from this cause, and Mm -hmm. it may worsen cardiac toxicity. Okay, so you can use diazepam, Ativan, not All the benzos, but don't go with Dilantin. This is not a neurological cause of seizures like like epilepsy. Excellent. And Dilantin is already cardiotoxic, so the last thing we need to do is further widen their QRS. And it's so important for nurses to be smart about this, right? Because sometimes you get orders that you should be questioning if that's not what's needed. And sometimes people who are, and no disrespect to my physician colleagues, but you may have somebody who's very new at this, sees a seizure and then automatically goes, you know, kind of like a standard treatment treatment of Dilantin. And you go, wait a minute, I think this is a TCA overdose. So be the smart nurse and develop an environment that it's okay to question and ask the question absolutely 
So the fourth thing is gastric lavage. And when I first started, and oh. yeah, I know Landon loves to talk about how long it's been since I've been in nursing. But but I've been in nursing that long, too, Yeah, probably. For this part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember, we used to do gastric oh. lavage and charcoal. Charcoal. For every poisoning overdose in um, the emergency department. Gosh, it was messy, wasn't it? I still it? have scrubs that have black stains <laughs> exactly. on them. Exactly. But there is a lot of controversy around gastric lavage. So they, with something like a TCA overdose, because of that vast variability in how lethal it can be, if they can pinpoint that there's been a poisoning and an overdose less than two hours, then GI decontamination is what they call it, uh, should be considered by administering activated charcoal, provided that your airway is protected. So if you have somebody who's unconscious, Please don't shove a G, you know, something because in that the, charcoal yeah. is coming back. Exactly. And it comes Boy, back yeah. a lot more sludgy <laughs> exactly. than it went down. Exactly. All at once. I know. It's not pleasant. There's no clear benefit from repeated doses of activated charcoal, but this may be considered if a slow release preparation has been injected. Again, great when we know exactly what medication has been taken. Right. However, a lot of clinical studies have not demonstrated any significant effect on outcome using oral gastric lavage, and there is a risk that increased absorption of tablet matter may occur from the small intestine. Hmm. You really, you know, in addition, um, oral gastric lavage may increase tachycardia and hypoxia. Therefore, we should, we're not recommending that you're using it routinely. I remember patients used to come in and we put a straw in there, yeah. remember? Oh, yeah. And they would drink, drink it, it out like of the straw. Drink. It was just awful. I haven't I, seen it in for years. Well, and years. so we used charcoal a few weeks ago when I was working and I was the only one in the department. Who remembered how to... Someone came up to me and said, I have this order for charcoal and they were looking for little tablets that you might dissolve in water. And I went... Oh, oh no. no! I'm like, go get gowned up. And which honey. poisoning was that? Here was we it... go. I don't even know. I she just came to me with the order and didn't actually know where Tell to find situ- this. Oh, didn't realize gosh. it was a drink in a bottle. And, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? But I, in Weird. my head, I seem to remember people drinking oh, it right out of the, the bottle straw. with the bendy straw yeah, that we absolutely. used to provide. So Com- commonly, <laughs> exactly. So gastric lavage or decompression is probably doesn't not, do anything. <laughs> yeah, doesn't really do anything. And there might be some situations when they less than two hours and they're very very sick that you may choose to do something right. about that. But other than that, no. Now the treatment of the hypotension that number is very five. the number five treatment kind of, of hypotension. Treatment. So as we said, TCA overdoses often have hypotension and it should really be treated with the above that we talked about the bicarb kind of be careful with your IV fluids and then correcting their hypoxia really is what it is their use of inotropes and vasopressors like norepinephrine is controversial and it should only be done in consultation with a medical toxicology or an ICU doctor Uh, Their use may cause hypoperfusion and increase the acidosis, which further worsens the toxicity of TCA overdose because it increases the affinity of the TCA for the sodium channel and increases the degree of sodium channel blockage. So you actually get wider complex rhythms 
patients with a decreased cardiac output, which can lead to further hypoperfusion and acidosis. So up to date does state that vasopressors are indicated in patients with hypotension refractory to sodium bicarb and aggressive IV fluid resuscitation. If you use any vasopressors, um, use norepinephrine or phenylephrine. And I'm here we are listening to the ambulance. You're having the siren go. I on. know, just as I'm talking about that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hmm. So in we are summary, in our kitchen, so not far are, from the hospital. We are in the kitchen of knowledge, which is very close to the hospital. Hospital, yes. So in summary, management of tricyclic antidepressant poisonings include one, ABC management. So your typical intubation, cardiac monitor, oxygenation, IV, yeah. pretty well any yeah, unconscious person who comes yeah. in. Number two, sodium bicarb bolus plus or minus infusion. Mm-hmm. Three, anti-seizure medications only if seizing. Yeah, not prophylactically. Okay, I just have to look out the window because there was like this big loud bang. Oh, was there? We are in the sketchy part of town. So we are someone... not in the sketchy part of town. I maybe someone got shot. No, I didn't see anything. It was no. just, I didn't even hear a bang. You, you can't see a bullet flying past Oh, no, you. but I didn't hear a bang. All right. Okay, so anti-seizure medican- medications. She's in seizing. the sketchy part of town. Um <laughs> Number four, gastric lavage, if less than two hours. And that's controversial. That's controversial. And honestly, we don't see it as much as we used to. Yeah. Uh, And five, treat refractory hypotension. So IV bolus, sodium bicarb. Yeah. And if those don't work, you may go with vasopressors like norepinephrine or phenylephrine. Mm -hmm. But again, once you're getting down there, like phone somebody. Yes, exactly. Don't be in small town wherever thinking you have to manage this on your own. There are people who do specialties in toxicology. Yeah. And they're usually a phone call away. Yeah. And I know where we are, our poison control center is a fantastic resource. Many of our physicians are their resource. and, and Exactly. Uh, yeah. It just phone poison control or whatever your equivalent is. Don't do this alone. So one last note about further management of arrhythmias, not responding to therapy. So refractory arrhythmias. So... We're just going to kind of go through a few of them. Yeah. Here. So tachyarrhythmias, magnesium is not recommended as first line. But um, if they're refractory, you might throw it in there because they're just not getting any better, right? Right. Yeah. 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 But you really need to to kind of have gotten a few things yeah. sorted out yet because the magnesium can also then play exactly. around with your sodium. And exactly. Then, and, to, and we're really talking about you've done all the basic treatment and now these are refractory and these are just like... Oh my God, these are kind of Hail Mary kind of. Absolutely. Right? Hail Mary type things like, oh gosh, what are we going to do now? Right. Because this isn't working. Uh, If you end up with a bradyarrhythmia, which you shouldn't, but if you do, um, uh, you could use isoproteranol. Wow. Yeah. I know, right? I don't even know if we have it on our crash card anymore, do we? We probably have to blow the six inches of dust (laughs) off the top of the vial. Exactly. Um, So really, bradyarrhythmia, pacing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pacing wire, but you could use isopril or isoproteranol until the pacing wire is placed. Atropine's going to be ineffective. Yeah. That's not the reason they have a bradyarrhythmia uh, is not um, parasympathetic dominance. Yes, exactly. Number three, lipid emulsion. So it may work by prevent providing an intravascular lipid compartment into which lipid-soluble drugs can be sequestered and thus enhancing free fatty acid availability for cardiac metabolism. So that's wow, a big, long thanks. word. of like, yeah. But the, the lipid therapy um, 
you know, it, it kind of just builds little, I think of them as little amoebas that like suck the drug and store them inside because they're lipid soluble. Exactly. So you may be able to store it somewhere else right now. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the hyperkalemia treatment where yeah. we give a bunch of drugs to just store the potassium somewhere else for a while while we sort we everything out. out. Yeah. Lipid therapy is kind of the same kind of concept. Maybe that's another thing we should talk about is oh, lipid emulsion. We should. Look at that. Three different... I should write these down. You should, because we'll probably forget about them. Someone email us and remind us what we talked about. I'm going to write them down right now. Four, cardiac arrest, secondary to tricyclic overdose. So not hypoxia, because they obstructed their airway from being unconscious. This is truly the TCAOD. Treat with systemic alkalinization with sodium bicarb and potentially some hyper... Uh, sorry, hyperventilation. Attempts at resuscitation should continue for at least one hour. And the the ACLS guidelines would suggest that lipid therapy is also an indication there. Yeah. Um, As is probably everything there in cardiac arrest. Exactly. Throw the whole boatload at them. Yeah. Avoid class 1A, 1C, and class 3 antiarrhythmics as they all prolong QT. Um, So just avoid the QT prolongation drugs. Yes, exactly. Also avoid flumazenil, which prolongs QT. QT. So if they have a seizure, give them a little bit of Ativan, but not too much Ativan. Because then you might need to give them flumazenil, which makes it worse. Oh, my goodness. It is. It's very difficult. You just end up going in a circle. Well, I think we need to talk about long QT in one of our podcasts. I'm writing that down. That's twice it's come up. Long QT. Okay. So a final note about our patient. Her pH was 7.38, so not too bad. No. Uh, PCO2 was 45. We need to get it a little high bit normal. higher. Yeah. PAO2 is only 78. That's not scary, but scary in that it should be better in her at her age. And her bicarb was 22. So her blood work was essentially normal with a slightly low potassium at 3.2. Urine toxicology screen was positive for tricyclic antidepressants. Chest x-ray normal, CT head normal, thus ruling out the subarachnoid. Because you don't want to just kind of think, oh, oh yeah, it's, it's easy to it, go down. Right? Yeah, and and exactly. that is sometimes the disadvantage of something <laughs> like Farmanet. It's yeah. easy to anchor yourself in, oh, well, it's on their Farmanet. It's obviously this. this and and yeah. yeah, they could actually have fallen out of bed. Exactly. Bumped, their head. bumped it, yeah. So the patient was treated with two amps of sodium bicarb, an infusion of sodium bicarb as recommended by the Poison Control Center, was electively intubated for airway protection At the CT. and was admitted for to the intensive care unit. She slowly improved, was extubated on day two. Final ECG on day three revealed resolution of her cardiac abnormalities. Uh, she reported that she had ingested amitriptyline prescribed for her migraine prophylaxis, admitted to suicidal ideations triggered by the severity of her migraines, and was transferred to a psychiatric service on day four. That's amazing. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That was a thank great you. review. Sometimes it's great to just have that clinical totally peace um especially because we don't see it very often anymore so that was a really really good review thanks Landa. thank you and we'll see you in april oh, yes exactly all right see you later bye. bye for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursum.org that's n-u-r-s-e-m dot o-r-g you can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, 
Ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca